She's the pushy broad from the Bronx, New York. Follow her voice, a straight dog and I. She's the pushy broad from the Bronx, oh yeah. Don't be surprised if you want to listen twice. Make decisions, find the right choice. Know yourself better, find your own voice. It's okay if you need help today, because everybody needs a little push. From the pushy broad from the Bronx, New York. Hello and welcome Transformation Talk Network listeners. My name is Ellen Stewart and I am the Pushy Broad from the Bronx. Welcome to my show this morning, Recovery Recharged. I am delighted to be here today to talk about a topic that is very close to everyone's heart and I know that you will get something out of it. This episode is called Parenting and Recovery And we're going to talk about exactly what that means, what challenges parents face, and how can professionals help you navigate better communication with your children and your loved ones. Today, I have brought with me two clinicians that are professionals in the fields for decades. They come from Karen Psychotherapy. They are co-owners and founders of Karen Psychotherapy, and they specialize in exactly what we're going to be talking about today. Let me introduce you to them one at a time. The first one, Trisha Costin, who is a licensed clinical social worker, a licensed certified alcohol and drug counselor. She is a New Jersey therapist who specializes in treating clients with addiction issues, codependency, couples counseling, anxiety and depression, and and dual diagnosis issues. Trisha has always dedicated herself, and she has always felt that she didn't choose this field, this field chose her. Trisha, say good morning to our listeners. Good morning. Thank you, Alan. Excited to be here. Thank you so much. And then we have her partner in crime, Jesse Carvalho, who is a licensed professional counselor, a licensed social, a, a licensed certified alcohol and drug counselor. And she works with adolescents, families, parenting, and substance use. She is been doing this for a very long time, and she has a background in adventure-based counseling, experiential activities, wilderness therapy, family systems, spirituality, mindfulness. I can just go on and on. And she always tells us that she's going to get you past whatever it is that's keeping you stuck. Good morning, Jamie Carvalho. Good morning, Alan. Thanks for having us. I have the pleasure of knowing these ladies for two decades. And I was thrilled when they formed Karen Psychotherapy Group. It is a center in New Jersey that provides support to individuals and families while they learn to navigate life on life's terms. They look towards balance, direction, and hope. Karen Psychotherapy Group treats individuals, adolescents, substance use, couples, counseling, families, and college students counseling. So... I have certainly brought the experts to the table today. I am really thrilled. Let's begin with Trisha. I'd like for you to explain to us what is parenting in recovery? Parenting recovery is just what it sounds like. It's trying to parent while you're sober. It's feeling 
your way through a minefield sometimes because parenting is hard even when you take recovery out of the equation. Tammy, you want to add to that? Yeah, it's, you know, when you're in recovery or newly sober, you have to learn how to take care of yourself. But sometimes we have, you know, these little ones we have to take care of too. And that just adds to the mix. Um, we want to help people focus on basic needs, um, what they need to do to take care of themselves while they also, you know, take care of everybody else at home. And that's absolutely a great definition from both of you. I know that with my clients as well, many of these parents come out of treatment already. They come out of a residential program or they come out of an intensive outpatient program, which I know you both are familiar with. And they are learning not only to be sober one day at a time, but now go back to their life and look at it in a whole new way. So that being said, Trisha, what do you think the potential consequences of being a parent in recovery is all about? I mean, it varies based on stages, but especially in the beginning, either the beginning of recovery or the beginning of having your first new baby, it's the potential for relapse. You know, there's a very fine balance between finding your sanity and being a good parent. You know, they can go hand in hand, but it's a very delicate balance. And, you know, the positive consequence, we always talk about negative, you know, negative would be the relapse, but the positive is you get to relive life through your children's eyes. And that's like pretty cool to watch. That's really amazing. And you're right. We always look at it from a negative point of view. We can't possibly think that it's going to be a positive point of view. Has it been your experience, Jamie, that when parents come to this situation and they actually start learning again, that they really don't understand that they have to relearn how to interact with their kids? Absolutely. They think that, you know, everything will stay the same. And that's not true. If you're changing, the whole system's going to change. So we have to relearn how to be partners. We have to relearn how to be um, in relationships with our children of any age, because the dynamic is just different. Um, and that's one of the biggest challenges I think they face. What are some of the other anticipated challenges you think they face? The biggest one that we see is not having enough help or feeling like you can't ask for help. So trying to just take care of everything yourself, especially in this new early recovery thing, um, working through your own ego issues. That's a big, you know, part of, of what we're working on in therapy with individuals, uh, working through their own issues, uh, working on things that will come up when maybe the family members aren't ready to have the relationship that the client thinks they should be having right away. You know, just because we get sober doesn't mean everybody's happy and wants to have this big new thing happen again. So we really have to work on reintroducing into the family and, and working on that dynamic. So, Trisha, do you find sometimes that there are some boundaries to this? What makes it difficult to talk to parents about this? What what are the, What's their resistance? Well, when you back up a little bit, when you're in active addiction, you can't set boundaries. It's, you know, you're not setting boundaries with yourself, so you're not setting boundaries with other people. So once you get sober, trying to navigate boundaries for yourself and then what are the boundaries for my kids? What's okay? What's not okay? What am I going to allow? Who am I going to allow? It's, 
you know, it's really trying to figure out what you're comfortable with. And then if you need to pivot and make a change, feeling comfortable to be able to communicate that and saying like, okay, I know I said this one thing, but this doesn't really fit for my family or for what I want for my child. So this is what I need now. Communication. I understand. Do you find that there is one or two things that's particularly difficult for a parent that is in early recovery, something hard? I know with with parents that I work with, they can't believe that they also have to learn again how to communicate. What's the most difficult thing you found for them to do? I mean really just asking for their own help, finding their own space, being able to say, I need this, or I don't know how to do this, being able to figure out who can I trust? Because when they were using, they thought they could trust people. And now as we're getting sober, it's, well, now I have these new people, but can I trust them with advice for my child? And it's really taking stock of relationships and figuring out who deserves to be in your life. Like, that's that's a big one. Not everybody that is a big one. You're right. Jamie, do you have something to add? Yeah, I just keep thinking about how, how we need everybody in early recovery to focus on themselves. And as a parent, you know, I've got little ones at home. That's really tough because you want to take care of everything else. You want to do everything for everyone else. And it's hard to take that you time, you know, day to day, week to week. And that's such an important part of the recovery process is taking time for yourself and learning, you know, new coping skills, new tools to use to get you through this thing. Um, but there's that that push-pull struggle when you have, especially little kids, that one's tough. Um, and it's, you know, it's hard to ask people to put some of that aside for a minute while they really focus their energy on themselves. Certainly, that's what you were both saying about boundaries. And sometimes par parents certainly feel selfish about putting up boundaries. I know working with a lot of people that come out of treatment, especially women who have to come back or 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 somebody that is is uh, be has the the mother role in the family, shall we say, the most caretaking role, finds it the most difficult to transition back to their children and separate their boundary from not being a good mother or understanding what that actually means. Trisha, can you speak to that? You know, there's a lot of pressure from society in general of parenting. Are you getting your kid the right classes? Is your child wearing the right things? Are they doing enough activities? Are they doing too much activities? There's a lot of judgment. So dialing back and just kind of figuring out where we go from here. And also, you know, we focus on moms early on in this conversation, but it's dads too. You know, dads play a huge, huge, huge pivotal role in parenting. It's the days of it just being all on the mom are done. So, you know, to survive, I know in New Jersey, it's you need a two income household, you need both parents involved, both jobs involved. So it's figuring out the balance of having to get everybody to work together. And certainly the communication between parents, no matter what, whether one person is in recovery or they're both in recovery, boundaries are a very important thing. And so is understanding and defining codependency between partners. Jamie, can you speak to that? 
Yeah. So codependency is having an emotional investment to somebody that has a chemical dependency problem, what we would call addiction, alcoholism, whatnot. It can be anyone that's that's close. It can be a wife, a partner, brother, sister, friend. Um, you know, it can affect anybody in that close circle. So um, when we treat families, we're talking about anybody that is close to this individual. And certainly in a codependent situation, that certainly is part of the disease of addiction. Would you agree? Absolutely. So we want to make sure that we don't just treat the person um, in early recovery that's getting sober, but also make sure that we focus on everybody that's close to them, whether it's their kids, their partners, their parents. Um, that's where we see the most success, really, is getting everybody involved in the process. I understand. And certainly it's the most difficult sometimes in newly sober parents, especially if they have young children. Trisha, can you tell us what that looks like with young kids? With young kids, um, I think the biggest, most important thing to keep in mind is what's age appropriate. How much do you tell them? What do you not? You don't want to scare them. So, you know, it's explaining why mommy or daddy has to leave at night to go to a meeting because this meeting is kind of like our medicine. It's what keeps us my head on straight. It's what keeps us moving forward. Um, it's really hard. And the guilt sets in when you're trying to walk out the door and your kids are throwing themselves at the door, hysterically crying, please don't leave. Give me a bath, read me a story. And it's like, you know, your heart breaks. You want to do these things, but you also know that if I don't take care of me, then I can't take care of you effectively. So it's finding other ways to deal with that guilt. Like, you know, mommy has her meeting tonight, but tomorrow I'm going to read you two stories. And this is what we're going to be able to do and figuring out what the balance is so that they're happy, they feel secure, and you're getting what you need. And I completely understand that sometimes it's completely gut-wrenching for parents to understand that they have to put their oxygen mask on first before they can go treat their child, because that's the only way they're going to be a good parent. So, Jamie, let's move it out of out of young children and talk a little bit about teens. What does that look like coming back to, you know, early recovery and dealing with teens? So teens are a little different because whether you want to believe it or not, they know what's going on. Um, they know some, even if they don't know the specifics, they know something's up, something's different, something has changed. So I think with this age group, it's just most important to be open and honest and have conversations about what's really going on and the changes that may need to happen in the house moving forward, um, offering support, whether it's, you know, if you have questions and you'd rather talk to somebody else, we can help kind of bring those supports into the mix as well. But at the end of the day, they know what's going on. Um, so not dancing around it, just being open and honest is going to be the best case. Okay. So, so can you give us some concrete examples? Trisha, let's just go back to young kids for a second. What do you advocate telling parents that are newly in recovery? What kind of words do we use? Do we talk about what mom and dad has gone through? Any, any concrete examples of one, one can say to a young child, say six or seven or eight years old? 
Well, I think it varies based on the child and what they've been through prior to. But for kids that are open and can hear it, just as simply as, you know, mom and dad, I have an allergy. You know, I, I don't drink, you know, you used to see me drink. I don't drink anymore because I'm allergic and I get really sick and I don't feel good and I, I get mean or, you know, you've seen that, um, you know, these things, this allergy makes me do things out of what I want to be doing and what I want to show you. So this is why I don't drink or this is why I don't do drugs or, you know, whatever. Um, just really explaining that, you know, you want to give like a little bit of hope that, you know, like, yes, it's an allergy. You want to kind of move away from sickness because then the kids are going to think that something's wrong. You don't want them to think something's wrong. You just want them to know that like, okay, this was an issue, but mom and dad's taking care of it. That's very good advice. So Jamie, let's talk about teens who are pretty savvy, who can Google anything, who know everything. And I would venture to say, sometimes experimenting or dabbling themselves, what advice do you give to parents dealing with this? What concrete things would you be saying? So first and foremost, I ask parents to be aligned because we need to send the same message, whatever it is that we're talking about. And if they can't do that, we have to find the middle ground because it can become an issue if mom is saying one thing and dad is saying another about the topic, the expectation, whatnot. So it's working on being aligned as parents and then having discussions with the kids about um, experimenting, social use, what that may look like making them aware of if there's a family history, um, you know, that goes beyond a particular parent. Um, it's important to know what that looks like. Um, and the expectations in the home, maybe we decide that it's a dry house moving forward. That means nothing comes in here. So even a college kid, you know, when you come home for the summer, we're not bringing a six pack with us. Um, we don't, have those things here and it's really just to keep everybody safe so coming up with the expectations that are part of your recovery process um, and being open about those something you want to add trisha no i was just saying i was just thinking when jamie was talking that being aligned is not something that we can stress enough if you are not aligned if the rules are not clearly defined there's going to be a split and then you're going to have troubles with your teens. They're going to work mom to get over on dad or vice versa. And it's a recipe for disaster. So even if you don't necessarily agree, you have to agree in front of the kids and then talk about it later when they're not around. I'm in 100% agreement about that. There is no question. You have to present a united front. Otherwise, for sure, they are dividing and conquering 100%. So I'm a I absolutely see that on a daily basis. So what you're saying is it is possible for us to have age-appropriate discussions with our children. So if they are young, we should not be hiding anything, but talk to them in terms of an allergy as opposed to a disease. If they're a little bit older and they're teens and they seem to be savvy, then you have to sit down with them and explain to them the dangers of doing what we did and the possibility of passing that on to them and making them extremely aware of the dangers of alcohol and substance use. Mm -hmm. So what happens when we try to manage our daily life? 
we use something in recovery called HALT. Tricia, can you explain to us what that is? Yep, it's hungry, angry, lonely, tired. It will apply to parents and children because when they are acting out, it's probably one of those things too. So, you know, really taking a minute when you're in the moment with the kids and everything is just noise and you don't know what's happening, just pause. What is happening? Am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? When something like this comes up and you figure out what it is, you might need to say, hey, sweetie, you know, mommy needs five minutes. I'm going to go into the bathroom, lock myself in the garage, whatever you need, as long as they're safe. Um, you know, play with this toy, do this thing, watch a show. I will be back in five minutes. I just need a minute to collect myself. The key is go, but then come back in five minutes. If you say I'm going to be gone for five minutes, those kids are like, uh, it's five minutes. You need to come back. If it's 10, they're not going to trust you. And the key is building trust and showing that this is safe. We're safe and reinforcing that what I mean, I say, and what I say, I mean. You're absolutely right. And I think in addition to that, it's just in general, when we say halt, to identify what it is we're feeling, which means we have to pull back and be aware of what's going on. In recovery myself, I'm I'm always still a product of my emotions. And if I don't back myself up, turn around and say, okay, What's going on with me? What's the conversation behind the conversation? Am I hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? I always know that what's happening is a product of those emotions. So awareness is absolutely the key. So Jamie, what do you think parents in early recovery find so difficult about asking for help and support? It's... That concept of surrendering and letting go and letting others help, um, it's just really difficult. It's an ego thing. And it gets sorted through, I promise, in treatment. That's why we advocate for being involved in treatment and self-help programs and just having all kinds of supports around you so that you can learn to utilize other things and um, understand that there's a whole team around you that wants to rally and support getting healthy. But it's it's just an ego thing. It's difficult to let go of that. So, Trisha, do you think that that's something that maybe you see more in males than females? Is it a gender thing? I mean, is is that an opinion that you have or not? No, no, because it's just because it's just as hard for moms. Moms have the I am the I'm the mom. I'm the end all be all like it has to be me. And it's like, no, it doesn't always have to be you. It can be somebody else. And, you know, I just wanted to kind of piggyback off of what Jamie said for a quick minute, if I can, you know, getting different levels of care of help. A lot of times if parents have a child and they've relapsed, they're like, well, I can't go away. I can't go to treatment. Your six month old is not going to remember that you went away for however many days to take care of yourself. Do it. Do what you have to do to take care of you. And little kids, they don't remember or they remember what they want to. They recreate what their childhood was. So make it count. 
I think you're absolutely right. And also working in the field as you have for the past 20 years and devoting a lot of my time to sending people to residential treatment, you guys are absolutely right. The most important thing that moms especially feel is I'm abandoning my children. How can I do this? And I always say to them, you are with them. And if you don't go away, it's another version of abandonment because you cannot give them everything you need to unless you get the tools to do this better because what you're doing now isn't working. So you need the time and the space away from those distractions. And I really encourage all of you out there to understand that if it means you need help and it means that you need to go away for a short period of time, whether it's a couple of weeks or a month or even 90 days, do what you need to do now so that your parenting and your situations with your children change drastically. And and you're both right. I th definitely think it's an ego thing. And because someone that's in the mother role finds that they have to be the one to caretake, they have to be the one, like Trisha said, has to be there because sometimes moms feel if I don't, if I'm not there, then my children will think I'm abandoning them. So I really believe what you both have to say, and I need you all to think very seriously about getting the help you need if you need it. So what do you think we should be telling the audience about how children react to this? Jamie, give me an example of some of the children that you work with and some of the things they say as their parents are healing. Can I have some examples of that? A lot of times they're really excited because the parent is more present. You know, I don't, it, something that's hard to learn is that when somebody's actively using, like they're really absent, even if they're there. They're really absent and they're not involved in things and the kids get so excited to have them back. And that's what they talk about. You know, they're doing activities, they're playing games, they're just spending time together in the house and or they're not so angry. Um, and the kids pick up on that very, very quickly. Um, just how much healthier everything is becoming. What have and you seen, Trisha? Sorry, Jamie, go ahead, finish. I was going to say, as hard as it is in early recovery for for somebody just to get through day to day and hour by hour, sometimes that's missed, that that everyone else in the family really close to them is starting to recognize how much better it really is. So that's why doing family work in these early stages is so important, because we want them to hear that and understand that, that, you know, it is getting better and everybody is recognizing it and it's making some big changes at home. Trisha, what do parents say to you about how they feel things are going in the communications? What are you hearing on a, on positive notes? On positive notes, um, you know, they a lot of times they go into it with a lot of fear, but then they're like, "My teenager's talking to me now. My 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 child is showing me their artwork. They they've never showed me their artwork before, and I got to go to their baseball game. It's baseball season. I got to go to their baseball game, and you know, like I I watched them hit a double header, and like that was just the most amazing experience. And you know, now we have something to talk about after. It's it's building on redefining what the relationship is. It's them 
getting out of themselves and making it all about them and being like, you have all these interests, you have all these hobbies, share them with me, tell me about them. That's a wonderful thing. When we come back, we're going to talk about long-term sober parents and also what's up and what messages can we leave with you to make parenting easier in recovery. Stay with us. We'll be right back. From the push it broad from the Bronx, New York. Hi, everyone. Dr. Pat here, host of the Dr. Pat Show. For about 20 years, you've heard me talk about silver and the importance of silver. I've been looking upside down and sideways to find silver that was the highest quality. And I think I found it. No, actually, I know I found it. I discovered this in my own healing journey, and that's what we used for me. Emia Life has the most advanced silver available today. All things that harm our health is what it takes care of. Now, I thought I'd seen it all because I've been on this journey for 20 years with silver, but I've not quite found anything like Emia Life. The folks and our friends at Emia Life have put together a special discount for your first purchase of 20% off. Amiolife.com. A-M-E-O-Life.com. Remember to give them a call. Tell them Dr. Pat sent you at 1-800-422-8148. I've already sent it to my naturopath. Do you have long-term depression or anxiety? With the right tools, you can fully recover from the long-term effects of childhood trauma. Kimberly Beekman at Inner Alignment offers level one inner healing, coach certification, and soul retrieval healer certification. With this revolutionary neuroscience approach, you can experience profound shifts in only two months. To learn more about these offers and programs, visit KimberlyBeekman.com. Are you ready to put down that drink or drug for good? Are you struggling to maintain your recovery from addictive behaviors? Do you need help with a family member or loved one who's in early recovery or battling addiction? Get the help and guidance you need by arranging a recovery recharged phone session with me, Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, Certified Life and Recovery Coach. Call 1-800-889-1757. Make an appointment today. Or go to my website, pushybroadfromthebronx.com, and click on the link that says Recovery Recharged. Don't wait. Get the help you need today. This is Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, on TransformationTalkRadio.com. From the pushy broad from the Bronx, New York. Welcome back, Transformation Talk Network listeners. I'm Ellen Stewart. I'm the pushy broad from the Bronx. Welcome to my show, Recovery Recharged. As always, you can find me at pushybroadfromthebronx.com. Thank you so much for allowing me to wear shades today. I've got the second half of my cataract surgery all done, all complete, but the light is a little much for my eyes. So bear with me today. I appreciate it. I have two professionals with me today, Trisha Costin and 
Jamie Carvalho. We are talking about parenting and recovery, an extremely interesting topic. And we have talked about young children and their reactions to parents and recovery. We've talked about teenagers and adolescents reaction. Now let's just comment a little bit about adult children dealing with parents and recovery. Trisha, can you comment on that? Sure. So adult children, adult relationships in general are a little harder. Adult children, um, they've seen more if the, if this is a long-term sobriety issue. Um, they're more apt to protect themselves. They are hopefully working with their own therapists on what boundaries that they're trying to set. And it's really important for the parent to agree to some of the boundaries, you know, give them the space to show that you've changed, you know, saying that you've changed isn't quite enough. Sometimes you really have to just let them set the tone when they're a little bit older and meeting them where they're at. You always want to kind of take the temperature for any given day because it might change and then act accordingly. Okay. Do either of you have some concrete examples of that? Jamie, can you address that a little bit? I was thinking of adding generational layers to the mix. So if we're talking about an adult child who now has their own children, there may be this heightened level of needing to protect them from grandma and grandpa because of years of what, you know, they saw and went through probably with active use. So it's sorting through that. It's like Trisha said, taking time to just let them trust you. They're not going to just maybe give you kids and let you put them in the car and take them somewhere right away. There's going to have to be a lot of rebuilding of things. But if everyone is working together um, and trusting that process, you know, you'll get to a place um, where it starts to happen. I think you're absolutely right. And we have seen this many, many times in our careers. Okay. I've seen grandparents, I've seen grandmothers go back after after being in treatment, coming home, going to their son or their daughter, and really wanting to get back into their grandchildren's lives. And because of that situation and because of all the things that happened while that grandma or grandpa was active, it is absolutely completely legitimate that your children should be upset with you and cautious about turning over their children. So there are a couple of things that I would advocate right away. And one of those things you both mentioned, and that is if you are in recovery, you need to be patient. That's one of the things that we learn in recovery. And also something that I was told in recovery, and that is trust is earned. And sometimes it takes a long time for that to happen. The other thing that I realized, and this is perfectly honest, people, and you know me, I've got 38 years in recovery and I'm still saying it. People that are in recovery, even though we identify as alcoholics or addicts in recovery, we are most of the time guilty until proven innocent. We always have to prove ourselves. So if you're going to get angry about every little time that your family distrusts you, you're not going to make it. Don't you think so, Trisha? Can you speak to that? Absolutely. You know, I have this one client that she recently was brought back into the fold by her daughter with her grandchildren. And in the beginning, she was like, can you believe she won't let me drop off any?" uh 
a Christmas card. Can you believe it was Christmas, Valentine's Day? She's like, they won't let me see the child for this or that. And then I was like, well, what was your role in that? Like, what did, what did you do? How did you respond when they said no? Well, I fought and I gave them the reasons. I said, stop fighting. You, you have to stop fighting. You have to just say, okay, I respect your decision. I, it makes me sad, but I understand you need more time. And as she's kind of backed off, her daughter came to her and she's like, okay, she's like, how about you come over for snack time? And it's, it's little, little steps that build. And, you know, hopefully one day she'll be able to take her granddaughter to the park or, you know, do whatever it is that she wants to do with her. But right now it's let your adult child set the pace, respect the boundary. If you are defensive, if you're feeling whatever you're feeling, you're allowed to feel it, but go talk to your network, go talk to your sponsor, talk to your spouse, talk to anybody except your daughter. You have to figure it out, work it out for yourself. And I also think that gratitude plays a great role. Whatever happens now in your life, you need to be grateful for the resentments based on your disease should slowly but surely dissipate. The more grateful you are, the more you will appreciate all the love and kindness that comes your way. So let's move on a little bit to long-term sober parents. Jamie, how do you think parents in long-term recovery continue to manage their needs? Continuing to stick with values and decisions, changes you've made as a family in the home is important. That consistency is going to just help everybody continue you know, to, to grow and trust everything, continuing to utilize supports, you know, are you in self-help groups? Are you still in therapy or family therapy? Whatever that is, who are the supports and, um, staying involved in that in one way or another, um, doing things that worked early on, you know, don't, if it's working, don't make changes, keep doing it. So just keeping up all of those healthy patterns, those healthy lifestyles and skills that you've learned in the early parts is what's going to help you maintain this thing. Um, whatever program you've built, work it. And sometimes, you know, I say to my clients, sometimes the longer you are in recovery, the harder it is to maintain because we get complacent. We get lazy. We stop doing what makes us feel better. Because we think we've got it. And the one thing we understand in recovery is we never have it. It is always a one day at a time thing. And if we can keep that in mind, then we can continue on a daily basis to manage our goals. So, Trisha, how do you think we, we continue to hold boundaries with our children? How do we do that in the long run? I mean, there's two main components to that. It's consistency and alignment with your partner or whoever you need to be aligned with. Um, I said it before, I'm going to say it a thousand times, mean what you say, say what you mean. Don't keep changing the rules. Just, you know, that gets confusing and it's hard for you to keep up with sometimes as the person setting the rules. It's like, well, but this was okay, but now it's not. So it's really figure out what the rules are, what you're comfortable with, what the parameters are, realize that there's going to be a trial and error period, like, okay, I tried this. Now I have to pivot. This doesn't work. And then stick with the plan, be consistent. That shows over time that, okay, things aren't going to be chaotic and change like they used to all the time, because you're doing the same thing over and over again. 
I, the only thing that I would add to that is I was always told in early recovery, do not make promises that you can't keep and always keep the promises that you make. And that's a very important thing, especially with teenagers, right, Jamie? Absolutely. It's, you know, consistency um, and sticking with what you say is how they're going to trust you. Um, And when, when you don't do that, you lose a lot of street credit with teens. They, you know, they'll write you off really fast and and they don't just come back quickly. So that's uh, right. They're not easy to trust. And once trust is earned, it takes a long time for that to happen, but it goes away in a split second with one unkept promise or one reversal of, of, a, of a mantra that, that the two of you have kept together. So I agree with that for sure. All right. So. Where do you find support in some for someone in long-term recovery? Trisha, can you give us some examples? Where do you find support? How you find support early on? You find them through meetings. You find them through therapy. Um, you find them through, there's national hotlines that you can reach out to if you need to. I mean, community resources. There's tons and tons of, depending on where you live, resources available. So it's really doing Google searches, trying to figure out where and how to get what you need. And also understanding that the entire family should have some therapeutic approach. Karen's psychotherapy treats the entire family, right, Jamie? Is that how you work? Absolutely. We have clinicians here that work with all age levels, you know, down to little ones. There's four-year-olds sometimes in the office playing with toys and games all the way through um, adults. So we can do a lot of different sessions with families. You know, we may split off and do just a siblings session where they can support each other and ask questions and talk about what's going on. We can do the big family sessions. Um, A lot of couples counseling, because like we talked earlier, the couple has to be aligned with how they're going to parent. So there's layers and layers of family work that needs to be done in this recovery process at all stages. And um, that's something that we tackle here day to day. I'm sure our listeners are pretty surprised to hear how early therapy begins. Can you address that a little bit? Either one of you, I know, either Jamie or Trisha, the fact that you do have young children participating and how important that is. Yeah. So we work closely with a lot of pediatrician offices and what ends up happening is parents call the pediatrician because that's who they trust the most. And it's because something is off. There's either behavioral issues or some new anxiety that maybe we're witnessing at home or just behavioral stuff that wasn't the norm. So they call the pediatrician and the pediatricians are referring out to mental health professionals and asking for assessing and, you know, identifying what's really going on. We're seeing a lot of kids that, you know, maybe they don't know how to identify emotions or how to regulate emotions. You know, if you're not in the mental health field, you don't always know how to talk about this stuff. So you you know that something is wrong as a parent, but you don't even know how to talk about it or find the right coping skills to use. So with the little ones, that's a lot of what we're doing. Um, finding coping skills for when we feel angry and when our body gets really warm and like uh, identifying all those physical things that they're feeling. Um, so we're working on just basic um, skills with them. 
Trisha, would you continue with that a little bit? And then also tell us what therapy looks like for a parent in recovery? Sure. So, you know, Jamie kind of touched on the smaller kids, the older kids, they come in angry sometimes and shut down and withdrawn. So the therapy, what therapy looks like for them is not talking about their parents, talking about anything else, building rapport, letting them get their own sense of identity, building trust with the therapist. And then you can kind of weave through some of the family stuff and they'll come in and say, well, mom was so ridiculous today. This is what happened and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's, it's great to kind of watch that unfold because as angry as they are, they're not bottling it anymore. You know, a lot of times when kids are angry, parents get scared, especially the ones in early recovery, because they're like, oh my God, my kid's so angry. Good. They're not bottling it up. That's what we want them to do. Maybe we want to teach them more appropriate ways to express their anger, but you know, we we don't want them holding, stuffing, keeping. We want them talking in appropriate language and ways, and then giving them the skills to kind of settle and recalibrate. So we've been focusing a lot, and I know you guys do a plethora of things, but we've been focusing a lot on parents that are in recovery and how to communicate that and how to communicate better parenting in recovery. But there's something else that I want to touch on before we wrap up, and that is when the when the child, when the adolescent or the teenager is in early recovery, I know that many times you have parents that come in and say, fix my child he's the problem or she is the problem and we're fine and just do me a favor and get some sessions in here and then everything should be okay. So Jamie, can you address that a little bit and what happens on the reverse when the kids are in recovery and parents don't even realize that they need therapy themselves? The number of times that I hear, just make it stop, just fix it, make it stop, make it go away. Um, what we end up doing with that is we have to educate on the disease model of addiction. This isn't just something that goes away. And there's a lot of work that goes into making sure this thing doesn't continue or get way worse. And we're going to have to maintain this, you know, for a long time. And they just don't understand that. So there's a lot of education on what is a disease? What is addiction? How do we treat it? There's not a medication that just makes it stop. There's working a program. What does that mean for people? Where do they find the supports? So it's getting everybody involved in that and, and, you know, teaching them what this thing is. Um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people are very unaware of this disease and how it really works. Um, and how we need to take care of it. So in keeping with that, we notice that parents sometimes don't even realize that they're part of the problem, that they need help around it. And they also need an education, like you said, into the family disease and into how to manage this. In addition to which, as you said, it's extremely disheartening for parents to understand that they there is no cure. And at the same token, they did not cause it. They cannot fix it. And more importantly, you guys can't fix it either, correct? So that's kind of a balance between humility and authority. So Trisha, can you speak to that? I, you know, one of the things I always tell parents, I didn't break your kid. I'm going to try to help you help your child. You know, this is not 
an overnight fix. And there are changes that the parent has to make. There has to be buy-in. And a lot of times we'll utilize a home contract just to give them an outline of like, a, this is okay, this is not. There are so many times and people are so unaware sometimes of what their own behaviors and how their behaviors trigger their child. You know, you can't have a family barbecue and have tons of alcohol, vodka, pot, whatever around um, and expect your kid to stay sober the whole time. It's like you have to create a safe home environment first. And we help people figure out how to communicate that to extended family and other people so that it makes sense for them and without totally disclosing their child's or their own anonymity. You know, that's really funny that you just said that. I just, I, I have many, many parents and kids, and I know you have the same thing. I have parents that sit down and say to me, my kid has a problem, but does that mean that I have to stop drinking as well? And even though I have some pot in the house, or I have some beer in the refrigerator, or I have some wine in the refrigerator, the kid should know that that's off limits. Trisha, how do you speak to that? I tell them that, no, you don't have to stop, but we do need to make adjustments. So you're an adult. If you want to have a drink, a glass of wine, that's fine, but only buy what you're going to use. Dump the rest of it. Don't store it in the house. If you have to store it in the house or if you're on medications that they could abuse, lock it up. Keep it in a safe. Don't keep it on the counter so that it's on public display and that that's a reminder for the child every single time. Like you don't have to totally stop what you're doing, but you do, if you want your child to get better, you have to make an adjustment. If your kid had a peanut allergy, you wouldn't rub peanut butter all over the walls and say, good luck. Don't touch it. It's the same concept. So Jamie, how do you guys address a little bit more about the disease of addiction? Because I speak to parents and they turn around and say to me, many of them turn around and, and say to me, well, he just shouldn't be drinking. Okay. So if I tell him no, that means no. So how do you address the whole brain situation of addiction? How do you teach parents? We have uh, a variety of lectures and and you know different educational tools that we use when teaching um we were doing group therapy for a while where we were doing that but it's it's just going over the model what it means and to piggyback with that it's also using behavioral contracts so yes there's the disease part of it where you've got this thing and it's not going to go away but we also as parents need to follow through with the behavioral piece i said no and if you continue to do it there's going to be a consequence for that behavior and that's how we help change a little bit as well um so we're teaching those parenting skills for any of the negative behaviors that we don't like setting boundaries and, and consequences. I also sometimes, sometimes parents do not, the, the addiction or the compulsion doesn't manifest itself with parents, but it does manifest itself with the child. But in some ways, sometimes there are process addictions that manifest itself with mom and dad. So sometimes relating to that gives parents an idea of how difficult it is to say no to something that the brain really, really wants. There are many times that there is maybe a food addiction in the family and turning around and not being able to eat one potato chip when you have to eat the whole bag is something that another family member can relate to, even though they don't feel that they have an alcohol or a substance use addiction. So sometimes that's a common ground. Trisha, do you feel that sometimes? 
I do. But there was just one more thing I wanted to add. You know, a lot of times parents don't understand. They're like, well, they're 16. They should know better. No, your child started using at 12. You have a 12 year old. It's a thing called arrested development. And that's a big thing we teach. You cannot expect somebody that's been using four years that missed all that growth, that the puberty, the changes that they were supposed to be happening because it got stunted and they didn't experience those things properly because of the drug and alcohol use. So really understanding where your child is and that can go along with processing disorders and things like that um, to understand like this is the reality of what we have to work with. Let's set the bar there and work higher instead of expecting them to function on the level that they're not capable of. And that's a very good point that you made. And that's something that that parents do need to know. The age that your child first starts to use is that the a is the age that they basically stay at despite years down the road. So Jamie, did you want to add to that? Yeah, we see this one a lot. Um, you know, even in adults, we could be working with a 30 year old that really is functioning like a 15 or 16 year old because that's where the use really kind of took off and skyrocketed. Um, what I was thinking about though is how important it is for parents to be in their own therapy working with somebody. We see a lot of parents um, holding on to a lot of resentments against the kids for getting this thing and you know throwing the whole family system out of whack and that's a difficult thing to process. Um, any disease is but this one becomes particularly difficult so I think it's important for them to have their own outlet and support so that they're not taking those frustrations out at home on everybody. You're absolutely right. I, I completely understand that because like we said before, parents are so terrified that sometimes it manifests itself in different ways. Do you find that, Trisha, that the fear overtakes them and becomes something else? Yes. And then it goes back to them and, the, well, like, what did I do wrong? It's like, well, it, this didn't, it's not necessarily anything anybody did. It's not, you know, they're looking for like a why. And there's not always a why. There's a, this is, what we're dealing with now, let's figure out the rest of it later. You're right. And and also, I know we deal a great deal in substance use and things that are very definitive in the life of an adult or a child, but the process addictions are just as important. So I'm sure parents come to you after they have um, a experienced other things, maybe gambling addictions or food addiction or or uh, pornography or uh, kids video gaming. Do you treat that as well, Trisha? Um, I do uh, the gambling and some of us here do video games. Uh, nobody here specializes in food addiction, but it's, you know, it's all process. It's all and process. Yeah. So we have two minutes left. I want to take a minute. I'd like you both to sum up a little bit and give us some hope and strength and let us know that there is hope out there. Jamie, why don't you say something to all of us that we can take with us? Parenting is really hard without recovery. It's just something that is difficult. But when you are in this process, we just ask you to have faith and to trust others and use your resources. Um, and if you can do those things, it will absolutely work out for you. Thank you, Trisha. 
Just remember, you're not alone. You have an arsenal and a variety of options depending on what works for you and your journey. Um, if you're just starting out, you need to find professionals who specialize this that can help you guide you through. If you've been doing this for a little while, keep using the supports that you're using. Don't dictate your own treatment because that never works out. Tr find the people you trust, find your tribe, stick close to them, and everything will work itself out. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Tricia. Karen Psychotherapy, New Jersey. That's C-A-I-R-N Therapy, NJ.com. This is Ellen Stewart, the Pushy Broad from the Bronx, saying thanks for listening. Recovery Recharged. We'll see you next time. This is Ellen Stewart, the Pushy Broad from the Bronx, saying thanks for listening. And remember, everybody needs a little push. From the Pushy Broad from the Bronx, New York.